I think I speak for all of us when I say that uh, life can get quite busy. Many of you hold a management position at your job. You may homeschool several children, uh, children of, of many different ages. For kids, you're in school, you're juggling assignments, you're juggling sports on top of that. For all of us, we're, we're aiming to serve the church in uh, various, various capacities. And with all those tasks, time just quickly slips away from us, doesn't it? And there always seems to be unfinished business at the end of the day. Now that's, we're not the first people to experience it. It's not a rare phenomenon by any means. People are busy. George Mueller, a pastor and missionary in the 1800s, he had his own busy life. George Mueller pastored a church for 66 years. Throughout that time, he preached about three sermons a week. He also founded a, a scripture knowledge institute, which he set up to, to teach and to counteract the unbiblical uh, beliefs, the unbiblical teachings of the day. On top of that, he built about five orphanages, which he said to have cared for over 10,000 orphans. That was all before the age of 70. When he reached 70, he did some missionary work for the next 17 years. He traveled to about 42 different countries. During that time, he preached about once per day. When he was 87, he returned to his church where he preached and taught at his institute until his death. Now, throughout all that, George Mueller is said to have read his Bible over 200 times throughout his life. In his autobiography, he wrote, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God, to meditation on it, Thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed. And that thus, while meditating, my heart might be brought into experiential communion with the Lord. Now, George Mueller, among his hustle and bustle of his everyday life, he would make a beeline to his Bible. George Mueller craved the Word of God. He knew that he needed it. Now, a text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, speaks to that very issue. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to the letter of 1 Peter. We're going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 22. We'll begin with the, the previous unit. First Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass, 
The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You've tasted the kindness of the Lord. So in this passage, Peter gives us three disciplines for us to grow in our desire for God's word so that we be spiritually fed and spiritually matured even while living in a culture that despises us. And we're going to go a little bit out of order this morning. We're going to start with verse 2. And I want to do that because the main thrust of the passage is found in verse 2. The main discipline. And then verses 1 and 3 provide supporting disciplines for us. They provide supporting disciplines for what Peter has written in verse 2. The first spiritual discipline is that you need to desire the Word of God. You need to desire the Word of God. Peter writes in verse 2, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So Peter commands his audience, and by extension you and I, to long for the pure milk of the Word. To long for something, that means to desire it. It means to to, to crave it. And what Peter's doing here is not just commanding us to have a, a feeling about it. But Peter tells us what exactly he's aiming at. And he does that by giving us a picture. He gives us a picture in this text. He begins verse 2 with writing, like newborn babies. Your desire for the pure milk of the word must be like a baby's desire for literal milk. Let me put it this way. How is it that many of you have been warning me and preparing me as my wife and I anticipate our first child? For the many conversations I've had with you, you've all told me, enjoy your sleep now, because you're not going to get any at that point. And why is that? Because babies cry. And they cry a lot. But why do they cry a lot? Because they want to eat. They want to eat. And they want to eat every couple of hours. Babies are regularly looking for milk. They want you to feed them. And you better not make them wait, or they're going to keep crying. But when they get their milk, what happens? They're relieved. For now, until that craving returns. Babies have a single-minded approach to their milk. And, and Peter, by giving us this picture, he's, in, he's intending to, to, to maximize the intensity of this craving for us. And, and I'll also point out that it, this is a, a reoccurring longing. It's a reoccurring desire. It doesn't just happen once. And for a baby... They don't just want this milk necessarily because it tastes good to them. They crave this milk out of necessity. They need it. 
They need it. And so they respond to that craving, that craving of necessity by crying out for it. They need the nourishment of their milk. That milk is going to allow them to grow into mature human beings. And so Peter says to long for the milk like newborn babies. That baby is our model for how we must desire the pure milk of the word. There needs to be that that constant craving that continuously draws us back to hearing from God. Not audibly, but in his word. Peter calls that object of our desire the pure milk of the word. 1 Corinthians 3 and in Hebrews 5, the, the biblical authors use the term milk to refer to the elementary teachings of the faith. They, they're using that terminology in those specific situations to, to rebuke their audience for, for never growing, for never growing beyond that. That's not what Peter's doing here. Peter's not rebuking his audience, like Paul does in 1 Corinthians and the writer of Hebrews. But Peter's intention is to build them up. Peter intends to encourage them to, to press on in their hostile environment. And so, uh, our context, the context of this passage, helps us to understand what Peter's pointing at. He's pointing to the Word of God. He wants us to long for the Word of God. And he even helps us by giving us two adjectives. Those adjectives are pure, the pure milk, the pure milk, and of the word. If you're reading from the ESV, your translation may render it as a spiritual. Of the word or spiritual, those are both accurate translations. Uh, it just has to do with the, the translator's understanding of that Greek term that's used. Uh, there's only one other time where that word is used in the New Testament. And that is in Romans 12, where, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the believer's spiritual service of worship, or, or reasonable service of worship. Now, the reason it's translated here as of the word in, in most translations is because the, the Greek term uh, that's used here, the word logos is at the root of it. Now, logos means word, it means speech or message. And I only say that, not to confuse you, but because that's a familiar Greek term that, that many people know. The logos, again, means word, and it's used of Peter back in chapter 1, verse 23, where he speaks of the living and enduring word of God. Now, that's important because chapter 1, 22 to 25, is directly connected to this passage. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Peter, Peter begins by writing, therefore. Therefore is always there for a reason. These passages are directly connected. So when Peter uses therefore, what, he, what he's telling us is that um, there's a connection here. There's a a continuation of thought. He's continuing what he's already written. The chapter breaks that we have in our Bible, those those are not uh, inspired, those were placed there later. Um, So we we need to be careful not to see those as a break break in thought. Uh, When Peter wrote 1 Peter, when he wrote this letter, 
is written as one long letter without those chapter breaks. So I just want to point that out to you. So if we look at chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, I mentioned that he used the, the, the word of God, the word logos, for the word of God in, in verse 23. Peter has, in that text, written about the incorruptible, living, and abiding word of God through which his audience has been born again. That for you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the living and abiding word of God. Then Peter goes on to our passage today in chapter 2 to, to tell us about this, this, this word, this milk of the word that believers will grow by. So we're born again by the word, we'll also grow by the word. The second adjective that Peter uses is your. Your. Pure means to be undiluted. It's, it's unadulterated. The, the thoughts, the teachings of men have not infiltrated it. Uh, one of the early church fathers by the, by the name of Irenaeus had said of heretics, quote, how they taint the heavenly doctrine with the poison of their errors, unquote. They teach something that is not pure. But God has given us His pure and undefiled Word. It's worth pointing out that when Peter references the pure milk of the Word here, he's not referencing Bibles like we have. His audience didn't carry around the Legacy Standard Bible. So I don't know what, what your routine looks like each day, but they did not wake up in the morning with a cup of coffee and sit at the table with their Bibles. But Peter's audience listened to the Word of God regularly. They memorized it. And so they, as they went about their day, as they went about their week, they thought about the Word of God. It was always on their mind. They meditated on it. And they would think deeply about it. That means that they would, they would chew on it for the good of their own souls. Even though it was not physically with them, it was never far from them. And so even though Peter does not necessarily point them to the Bible as we know it, brothers and sisters, we do have the Bible. We do have a tremendous privilege to carry with us God's completed canon. All 66 books of which no more will be added. God has graciously revealed Himself to us in His Word. And we have it in abundance. I would be willing to bet. I'm not a betting man. But I'd be willing to bet that you have multiple Bibles at home. Many of you likely have a Bible app on your phone, at least one. And even if not, you have the internet. But you can also access the Bible on there. So even if you don't physically have it with you, you still have other options for reading it. And so we have this, this tremendous gift from God. And I would seriously encourage you to not neglect it. Do not neglect it. 
Be like the psalmist in Psalm 119, who, who asked the Lord to, to allow him, to let him behold wonderful things from his word. Have that approach with your Bibles. Be like the psalmist in Psalm 119, or Psalm 19, who spoke of the, the word of God as being sweeter than honey. You should desire to behold the great truths from Scripture that have been given to you by your Heavenly Father. You're in Christ. You should want to hear from your Heavenly Father. I've mentioned the access we have to the Bible and even beyond just those uh, the Bible app and the physical Bible. We have other resources on the internet as well. We have audio Bibles. You can listen to it. We have a surplus of, of really good, solid biblical preaching at our fingertips. And so I, I would just encourage you to, to take, take advantage of the, the, the resources you have at, at, your, at your fingertips, at your disposal. We have an opportunity to take in the Word of God in so many various forms. So thank the Lord for that. And take advantage of it, brothers and sisters. Now, as I say that, I do want to point out that Peter commands a, a longing for the Word. He commands the longing. He doesn't, in this text, necessarily tell us to read it, or study it, or meditate upon it, or listen to it. But, Peter goes to the very heart of all of those actions. What will you do if you desire the Word of God? If you desire the pure milk of the Word? You're going to read it. You're going to study it. If that's a desire that you have, you will give it your time and attention. You will meditate upon it. That desire that Peter's commanding, it is intended to draw you to the Word of God. It's intended for you to partake of the Word of God. It is possible for God's people to go through trying times. There are times in our lives where opening the Bible can be difficult for us. It seems dry. You just can't focus on it. You're just not getting anything out of it. And maybe you find yourself there lately. I just want to encourage you for a moment. It happens to all of us. But I need to encourage you to press on. Press on in the faith. And, and don't let it keep you from from going to God's Word. Don't let that keep you from going to the words of life. Even when it's hard, we, we need to, to, to hear from our Heavenly Father. We need to read the Word. Even when it's hard, when it is hard, ask God for help. Ask Him for help. Pray and ask Him to help you. But brothers and sisters, the Scripture is your lifeline. It is your lifeline. 
you, you, you cannot be unplugged from it. Cannot be unplugged from it. One who is unplugged from it is the one who does not grow. They will not grow in their faith. He wrote in verse 2 that you long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It is the pure milk of the word that allows us to, to grow in respect to salvation. There is absolutely no other means in this world that will allow us to do that. There's nothing else so worth our time and attention. Nothing else will nourish our souls but the word of God. A motivational speech will absolutely never do it. Building up your self-esteem is not going to do it. It's only the pure word of God. It's God's word that feeds us. And it feeds us so that we may grow. Notice how Peter writes this, so that you may grow. Notice how it's written in the passive. It's written in a passive way. That's because you don't cause this growth in yourself. You are not the one that grows yourself spiritually. But that growth is caused by God's work through His Word in His people. God works through His Word to save, as we saw in the, in the previous passage, 1 Peter 1, 22-25. And He uses His Word to bring about growth. And Peter says that growth is in respect to salvation. What does he mean? He's not intending to say that our desire for the Word of God merits our salvation. We know that's not the case. And he's not, he's, no, nor is he trying to say that we somehow slowly grow into our salvation. We have been purified by our obedience to the gospel, by our trusting in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not earned our salvation. And salvation is a one-time, it's, it's an immediate, miraculous work of God where God declares a person to be righteous because of Christ. It's a, God shines this, uh, He instantaneously shines the light of an eternal spiritual life that had not previously existed. We are saved through the hearing of the word of Christ and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord by placing our faith in Him. We're not saved by working for it. Salvation is immediate. And we see that all throughout Scripture, uh, specifically in the book of Acts, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches and, and, and the Lord saves 3,000 souls because they're pierced to the heart. They're pierced to the heart and they ask Peter, what must we do in response to this? And he tells them, repent. It happened in an instant. In Acts 8, Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading from Isaiah chapter 53, and he, he wants to know, who am I reading about? And Philip tells him and explains to him that you're reading about Jesus, who is the Christ. So at that point, at that moment, the Ethiopian eunuch believes the good news about Jesus and saved and follows that with baptism. So, so Peter's intention is not to say that, that this is um, uh, uh, some, uh, something that we grow into. It's not something we earn. His, his intention is to point to the fact that the Word of God 
causes the believer to grow into the, to the fullness of their salvation, to the, to the fullest extent of that salvation here on earth. So what he's really pointing to is, is progressive sanctification. When I say progressive, I, I mean gradual. It happens over time as the believer takes in the word of God. Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, speaks about the believer who is being transformed from one degree of glory to the next through their beholding of the glory of Christ. As we see the Lord Jesus in His Word, He sanctifies us. He transforms us, as that, that specific text says. By looking at Christ, by beholding Him, we become more like Christ. And our Lord Himself, in John 17, 17, praying to the Father for all believers, says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God sanctifies through His word. It's that very word that Peter commands you and I to desire. As we think about this, we must ask ourselves the question, do we desire the Word of God in the way that this text requires us to? Do we desire it this way? Do we desire it like newborn babies? Each one of us sits here without excuse. Sit here without excuse if we're not taking in the Word of God. Excuse of being too busy, not having enough time, not being a good reader, not being smart enough. It's just not a valid excuse for neglecting the words of God. And when I talk about being smart or, or being a good reader, I, I understand there are difficult passages in Scripture. And Peter actually says to himself in 2 Peter 3.16, he speaks of the Apostle Paul's words being difficult to understand. The Apostle Paul's writings being hard to understand. And so I'm not intending to discourage you when I, when I say that. And I'd be happy to help you if, you if you need some guidance. I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. But regardless of what excuse is in your mind, persevere. Ask the Lord to help you. And, and, and don't look to yourself for this. But look to the Lord. The Lord helps His people understand His Word. But that will never happen if you, if you don't make the attempt. It will never happen if you don't pursue it. Peter's command to long for the pure milk of the Word, it is just that. It is a command. And so the desire for the Word of God ought to characterize the Christian. Every Christian should desire the Word of God. And I've already, I've already mentioned there are ups and downs in life. But, and hear me when I say this, if you do not desire the Word of God, let this be a time of self-examination for you. You never have a craving to hear from God. It is very much possible that you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
ask the Lord to help you examine yourself. My brothers and sisters, pray for God to grow this desire in you and cultivate it. It doesn't just come to you. You need to cultivate it. Read the Word. Listen to the preaching of God's Word. Because taking in the Word cultivates the taste for the things of God. As our text says, long for God's Word in the same way that a, a newborn baby longs for its mother's milk. They just cannot get enough of it. It's all they want throughout the day. So if you do that, you do that, brothers and sisters. The Lord is faithful to cause, cause growth in His people. That is His will. So, as we seek to obey the Lord's commands along for the pure milk of the Word, let's look at our second discipline found in this text that will help us uh, toward that end. The second discipline is found in verse 1, and that is that you need to put off sin to grow in your desire for the Word of God. You need to put off sin to grow in your desire for the Word of God. In verse 1, Peter writes, Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, Peter just wrote in that previous section. I've referred to it before, but he just wrote in the previous section, chapter 1, 22-25, of your need to, not your need, but your, the command to fervently love one another. Because believers are born again by an imperishable seed, the living and abiding Word of God. So now Peter continues on to our text and writes about the laying aside of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I'm going to define those in a moment for us, but, but I want you to see the, the category of sins that he chose. What is similar about that list of sins? All of those sins are relational sins. They're all relational. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So, with verse 1, Peter does intend for us to understand that these sins must be laid aside for the sake of our desire for the Word of God. But, he does also intend to say that we need to lay aside these sins for the sake of our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you continue to practice these sins, it's going to choke out your love for your brothers and sisters. They must be put off. And Peter says laying aside, laying aside these sins, it points to the act of, of taking something off. So a, a garment of some kind, a jacket, uh, you may be wearing, it becomes soiled with, with blood or some other substance and you just want to throw it away from you. You want to strip it off. That's the intention. And Peter says, laying aside. He doesn't use a command like he did in verse 2 where he says to, to long for the pure milk of the word. He's using a participle. That's a verbal adjective. But this participle functions as a command. It's Peter's intention to say, you need to lay these sins aside. He's not suggesting that they do it, or that you and I do it, but he's commanding it. Lay them aside, and this needs to be done so that your desire for the Word of God is not diminished. The putting off of sin, that's not uh, an uncommon 
idea, an uncommon concept. We find that all throughout Scripture, specifically through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 4, 22 to 25. Paul mentions it twice. In just those few verses, he says, to lay aside, in reference to your former conduct, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And just a few verses later, in verse 31, also in Ephesians 4, he also he mentions putting away sin once again. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Again, the Apostle Paul, Colossians 3.8, But now you also lay them all aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. So the laying aside of sin, this is, this is an incredibly important step in your life, in your, your spiritual life. If you do not do this, you will not flourish. You will not flourish in your spiritual life. Now, Peter gives us this specific uh, list of sins. He first mentions malice. Malice is often used in Scripture as a, as a term to refer to, to, to a general wickedness. But based on the context, Peter's referring to this malice in a more relational sense, as I said. And so he's really aiming more towards an, an ill will toward others. An ill will. And by that I mean... Uh, you're not looking out for the good of others. But instead, you, you may tend, intend to, to do them some harm. And, and we know that that cannot be the case for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, Peter lists deceit. Deceit means cunning. It's the, the, person, the person who deceives is, is dishonest. And the specific word comes from the idea of baiting the hook. Baiting the hook. That's a reference to fishing. When someone goes fishing, what do they do? They put a they put a worm, they put a minnow on the end of their hook, cast it into the water, and their intention is to, to catch that fish, uh, whether it be for a meal or for fun. But behind that hook, uh, sorry, behind that that bait is a hook. You are when you're fishing, you are tricking that fish into believing you're providing them a meal. But really, you intend to catch them. You intend to hook them. You're just tricking the fish into believing that your your intentions are different than what they are. And so this is what the seed is. It's our hiding of our intentions from one another. And it's evil. In Acts 13.10, Paul rebuked Elymas the magician for coming against his proclamation of the truth of the gospel. And Paul called him he said this about him. He said, you are full of deceit and fraud. And he called him a son of a devil, an enemy of all righteousness. And in John, in John 8, 44, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. And he refers to the Pharisees as the children of the devil. Because they're deceitful. Lying is characteristic of those outside of Christ. Deceit is characterized as a characteristic of those outside of Christ, not those in Christ. Next, Peter mentions hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the insincerity in who you claim to be. You're behaving in such a way which is inconsistent with what you claim that you believe. Uh, this word is 
often used to describe actors who would put on masks. Uh, at this time, there's even uh, men would play the, the roles of women by putting on masks. So a mask would, would cover who, this real, who the person really is. It presents a, a different face. Next, Peter mentions envy. This evil. This is the, the evil of, of jealousy. You may be jealous if someone has something you want. You may be jealous if something is if, uh, if things are going so well for someone else, but maybe you don't feel like they're going so well for you. Believers in Christ need to remember that in this case, when, when envy begins to, to swell up, God is the supreme ruler and provider of his people. Not everyone has the same things. Not everyone enjoys the the same experiences. But our God is good in all that he does. And we need to keep that in mind. That also includes the the grace of of very spiritual gifts that the Lord gives to his people. Some people are gifted more publicly with gifts of teaching and preaching. But every single gift in the body of Christ is necessary. We need every single one of us to be serving regardless of what that gift is. So don't be envious of spiritual gifts. Don't be envious of that person who's in charge of a ministry that maybe you might want to be in charge of. Be on guard against these things. And and instead of basking in that sin of envy, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone ought to just rejoice in an eternal, incredible inheritance that awaits us. As Peter mentioned in the earlier parts of chapter 1. Look to that inheritance. Fix your eyes on that. Fix your eyes on the hope, uh, on the grace to come. When the sin of envy confronts you, put your guards up. We, We must already have our guards up so that it does not take root. We cannot allow these sins to take root. But rejoice. When others, with others when they have a reason to rejoice. And, and don't be so concerned about yourself that your, your care and concern for others is, is just completely drowned out. In terms of envy, James in James 3.14 and 15 calls it earthly, natural, and demonic. And last in Peter's list of sins is slander. It's a word that means to run others down. That's the absolute opposite of building others up, which is what the Bible calls us to. The sin of slander is going to assault uh, the character of of another image bearer. The Bible in Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Unwholesome, that means rotten, worthless. Slander absolutely fits that description. There is no good reason for slander. Guard against it, brothers and sisters. So all these sins that Peter lists in verse 1, as I mentioned, and I hope I've made that clear, that they are evil and must be put off. These sins are unbecoming of those who are in Christ. Christians must put off their sins and put on righteousness. We cannot be a a people that accept the things that hinder us from loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot also, nor can we be a people that 
that accepts the things that hinder us, that, that, that stifle that desire for the Word of God. So, if you find yourself partaking of any of these sins, they need to be laid aside. Strip them off and do it now. This list of sins that Peter has given us in verse 1, he's using it contextually. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not the only sins to exist. And so I need to also say that again, sin goes beyond just what Peter has written here. You need to be mindful, brothers and sisters, of, of the things that you're, you're reading, the things you're listening to, the things you are, uh, the things you're watching. God is clear, for example, on the, on the issue of sexual immorality. So why would you entertain those things under the guise of, of, of entertainment? You cannot entertain evil and expect to love God's word. You just, you just cannot do it. The, by doing that, you're, you're going to choke that appetite. You're going to choke your appetite for the nourishing milk of the word, and it will kill you spiritually. It will kill you. And I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. Let's be clear. God preserves his people. But your desire will be diminished and you will not grow in your spiritual life. So as I said already, if your desire, the desire for the Word of God is not in you, it does not exist if it's not something you have, or if you just, and if you just simply love your sin so much, you're unwilling to do the radical work of cutting it off. Examine yourself. Examine your standing before the Lord. It is said of John Bunyan, and he had this written in the front cover of his Bible. Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. We've addressed the need to desire the Word of God. We've addressed the need to put off sin so our desire for the Word of God is not choked out. And so we come to our third spiritual discipline found in verse 3. You need to reflect on the kindness of God to grow in your desire for God's Word. You need to reflect on the kindness of God to grow in your desire for God's Word. And so as we come to this, this particular verse, I just want to highlight, again, I think I've mentioned it, but I want to remind you that these disciplines, these are, these are not one-time actions. These are ongoing. As a sin comes up in our life, we need to lay it aside. We need to put it to death. We need to constantly reflect on God's kindness. God has been so good to us. Reflect on that each day so that your desire for the Word of God will grow and our desire for the Word of God. We need to constantly be cultivating that and fostering that in our lives and acting on that. All of these disciplines, they work together. And they're not necessarily in the sequential order either. So, Peter writes in verse 3, If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. The if 
that Peter begins this verse with. It should be better understood as since. Since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. This is a, a past tense. You have tasted. It's something that's already occurred. And I, and I say it's since. But the goal of Peter, he, he's not intending to get his audience to, to question whether they've truly tasted this kindness. That is not Peter's intention. But he wants to point them to the fact that they have tasted God's kindness. They have tasted. And since they have tasted his kindness, since they, since they have been saved by their Heavenly Father, that ought to draw them to the Word. Because they've tasted of that. That ought to draw them. And so this final discipline, it's a motivation. God's kindness should motivate you. It should motivate you to long for His Word and to get into the Word of God. You've already tasted it. So that taste needs to excite your appetite even more for the milk of the Word. And we, we can't have the mindset that because we're saved, there's, there's nothing, nothing else that, that should be done. Now, to be clear, I think I've made this clear, but you don't need to earn God's favor. You don't need to work for your salvation. But our gracious God has been so good to us. Brothers and sisters, He's been so good to us. That should drive you to commune with Him. That should drive you to Him. Think about all that He's blessed you with. Think about all that He's done for you. You should not be okay with just that first taste. Don't be okay with that. But be drawn back to Him. Be drawn back to His Word at every single chance you get. While the, the Lord commands much of us in this short passage, the amazing thing is that the commandments are not burdensome. But instead, as you partake of them, as you partake of these disciplines, when you go to His Word, for example, you understand more of that kindness. You understand more of that greatness. And as, as Peter mentioned in verse 2, that desire for the Word, it leads to growth. All of this, brothers and sisters, it's for your good. It is for your good. Now, I've been addressing those that have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Those who have experienced the salvation that God grants. But I do recognize not everyone here has. Not everyone here has tasted that kindness. Not everyone here has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I call upon you today to do so. If you are not in Christ, ask Him for forgiveness of your sins. Trust in Him alone for your salvation. We, we do not work for our salvation. God does not accept our payments. He accepts none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Christ alone that one is saved. The Bible says that it's appointed for man once to die and after that comes the judgment. The Bible also says that's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So I want to warn you today to not put yourself in a position to, to fall under the judgment of God to be accepted by Him through Christ in Christ alone. Repent of your sin and trust in Him.
trusting Christ. Brothers and sisters, my desire, it's it's the Lord's desire, this is His very Word, that you would take very seriously these, these disciplines that we have addressed this morning. Put off your sin so it does not diminish that love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and put it off so that your desire for the Word of God is also not diminished. Reflect on the Lord's kindness and have that draw you back to His Word and continue to cultivate the desire in your life for the Word of God by partaking of it. Continue to allow yourself to taste of His good Word. Drink deeply from the Word of God. Be refreshed by those who teach you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Your Word. As I said at the start, we are well aware that we need Your help. We have many distractions in our lives. We are busy people. But I pray, O Father, that none of that would get in the way of us coming to You. That we'd allow Your kindness, we'd allow Your goodness, we'd allow Your perfect character to draw us back to You. Lord, help us to desire communion with You. Help us to desire the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to live righteously and to live holy. To honor You in all that we do. Help us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pulpit Ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.